As y'all brave bar delves into the dungeon, I shall lead the way and drink the potion. He sees a potion. It says, drink me. He immediately drinks it without a second thought. (laughs) Welcome to Witch Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, there's no looking back as we lock each other out in the numbers game, Quicks. Then we try to live in peace or conquer our neighbors as we build our kingdoms along the twin rivers in Tigris and Euphrates. And lastly, our heroes try to grab the loot right out of the treasure box while avoiding the dragon in dungeon roll. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein. All work and no play makes Evan a dull boy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis, a gamer and a choir in the night they need. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and no matter what you say, Han shot first. Oh, damn right. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> We're exploring today without Joe because he is away in New York City at an Othello tournament. Did he memorize all the lines? Oh, wait, not that Othello. <gasps> yeah, no. Can't wait to hear about it. Uh, okay, our first game up this week is Quicks. It's a fast family dice game designed by Stefan Bendorf. We played the version published by GameRight. It's the uh, American publisher in 2017. Number of players, two to five, ages eight and up. Runtime, 15 minutes. I brought this game to the table because my family got it as a Christmas present uh, last year. Mm. This is a small, quick game that comes with colorful dice and a colorful score pad, and that's it. You pass out a score sheet from the pad to each player, and there are four colorful rows on the score sheet. And you roll the dice and mark off your numbers as you go. If you roll but can't mark any numbers off, you have to take a penalty. Once any player marks off five numbers in a row, they can lock it. And once two rows are locked, the game ends. Whoever has the highest score at that point wins. I brought this game to the WGF table because although pencil and paper mark-off games don't usually excite me, this one came in a cool, sturdy, flip-top box. And it had such a cheerful image of the dice on the cover that it made me curious enough to want to find out if it was indeed as much fun as it looked on the cover. Evan, you were at the table for this game. What did you think? Yahtzee meets high rollers meets cosmic wimp out. Dice rolling, number striking, and cumulative scoring. It's a chimera. Mike, how about you? It almost doesn't matter what you're playing. Rolling a big fat fistful of dice just makes the game better. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When does it not? Ed, how about you? Hey, uh, a fun, fast, award-winning dice game from Germany? Let's roll them bones. <laughs> right. Did I mention the picture on the front of the box was dice? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, really. It's dice. Yeah. yeah Winner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already biased. <laughs> Very. After playing this game, it seemed kind of like the type of game that you'd create while sitting around a campfire and super bored. Uh, <laughs> Is that a compliment <laughs> or, a, or, a, or a diss? Um, I'm not going to say it's not a compliment. I mean, listen, that's how they made well, Yahtzee that yeah, way. Yeah, I, sort of. I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I kind of wanted to drop a little info piece in here since Joe isn't here to give us a long, ridiculous story. Uh, but it, but it, sadly, it's about Yahtzee. Yahtzee was invented by a wealthy Canadian couple to play aboard their yacht. 
1956, the couple approached businessman Edwin S. Lowe, who'd made a fortune selling bingo games in the 1920s, who also bought the rights and eventually changed the name of the Yacht Game to Yahtzee. Nice. (laughs) I wonder how many games were invented on a yacht, because guess what? (laughs) Contract Bridge also invented on a yacht. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you have time to sit around on a yacht, you have time to invent games, right? Invented by Vanderbilt. I mean, oh, what else are you going to do beautiful. except play cards and dice? Uh, I tell you, that's the good life. Yeah, so that is interesting, though. It comes from, Yahtzee came from that era. Uh, good to know if we were covering Yahtzee. But, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I get your point. The point was that, you know, people, this seems like the type of game that, like, non-big game creators made. You know, they just played it with their friends, and then they kind of evolved from there. Yeah, but it is clever what they did with the dice here. Mm-hmm. I, I think... Two pieces um, were really interesting about it. One, and and they were both to grab you and keep you interested when it, even when it wasn't your turn, right? Mm-hmm. So this game is billed as a fast-paced game in almost every language that this game is published in, and mm-hmm. it is published in a lot of languages. Mm-hmm. It it really wants to talk about how fast and easy it is. Mm-hmm. But check out these different taglines that are on the boxes for the different countries. So. In uh in in Dutch, the box tagline translates to simple and exciting. That's simple it. Simple and That's exciting. That's what it says on the cover. Mm-hmm. Simple and exciting. And the Portuguese box says surprisingly simple and simply surprising. Oh, that's clever. A little play on words there. I like it. Wait, the, the Germans were not to be outdone, so they went with classically easy and easily classic. Wow, that's pretty cool. What? That seems like a stretch. <laughs> but actually, I thought that the American box design where it touted fast family fun was a really smart way to go. Because when I played this game, I didn't see it as the type of game that I might pull out for a bunch of my adult friends uh, because it was just a little too basic. But I thought to myself, boy, this is going to be fun to play with the kids because it's going to be a little bit demanding for them, challenging in that they have to you know, quickly add up the numbers on the dice, decide which use some strategic thinking in deciding which numbers they're going to mark off on their sheet and then um, keep it moving. And it's interesting because I actually uh, read the instructions here that I had a worm from the developers that they found this game out from Essen, which is the game fair in Germany. And uh, they also saw this as a way of teaching kids um, some strategy. Because there is mm-hmm. a surprising amount of strategy in the way this game goes with the probabilities. Yeah, it has a decent splash of strategy for for a mm-hmm. simple looking game like this. It's not a ton, but it's good for like a younger audience and like or non heavy duty like strategy players. I yeah, think. you want to build up your points, but at the same time, you don't want to get locked right. out. So you have to sort of weigh the risk versus benefit of are you when are you when exactly to lock out versus when is it too long that I've already remained and trying to accumulate the points. I'm going to get nothing out of this unless I. Unless I end this soon. Because once you go a number, you can't select uh, a number that's to the left of that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's the big thing. The numbers go in order. And it keeps you interested because two of the rows go numerically up and two of them go numerically down. So you're always trying to make sure you don't mark off a number that's going to lock out a bunch of other numbers for you. And the other part... Um, that I know Ed liked uh, was the fact about the white dice, right, Ed? 
When you roll the white dice, you announce that number, and all players can mark that number off. Community dice. And then the person who rolls... No matter which column it is. Right. right. It's kind of a community number to everybody to like, which I think is part of the genius, because now every turn, everybody's interested in what's going on. Right. It keeps you engaged, and plus, other players can lock off a row when it's not even your turn and end the game when they get two yep. locked off rows. You have to build your strategy or mm-hmm. adjust your strategy accordingly based on that. Yeah, and from a game design standpoint, right, you've got four colored dice, two white dice, right, and a score sheet, and it's a solid game. A cheap design, a yes. solid game. Easy to understand. There's plenty to do. The game yeah. is so solid that the Mensa actually made it their selection for the year 2014. Ooh, Mensa. Yep. <laughs> there was a Mensa selection winner in 2014, and it was nominated for the Spiel des Jahres in 2013. There you go. So it was an award-winning game. You love that Spiel des Jahres, don't you, Ed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great place to just pick up games that other people have already vetted. If it won an award, it probably is at least decent. So you can just go down the list and just buy them all. A lot of people do just that. If they, they'll they'll see a Bowser's nominee or Bowser's winner on the on the label, they say, "Okay, I'll pick this up." Right. And Ed, what does Spiel de Jaris mean? Once again, Game of the Year in Deutsch. Nice. Once again, we need to ask Ed because Joe's not here. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if this game came with its own little tiny golf pencils or not. But no, it didn't actually. I remember no, good because me box. personally, I'd love to never see one of those stupid little golf pencils again. <laughs> Talk about a waste. Yeah. Oh, it's, is that a pet peeve of yours? <laughs> it is. I hate golf pencils too. I huh. can't hold them. They're just well, worst. I guess I'm, I'm different. I guess I like the little pencils. <laughs> oh, cool. I know what to get Ed for his birthday. Yeah. A box of golf pencils. <laughs> I know what to get Mike and Celeste for their birthday. <laughs> no. Hate. <laughs> One other aspect of the game we probably didn't cover yet is uh, that the uh, if the active player doesn't roll a number that he can put on or doesn't want to put a number on there, they mark off a penalty Ooh, box. Penalty. Yeah, and sometimes it's tricky. Sometimes it's a tricky strategy whether or not you want to mark off a number mm-hmm. or take a penalty. It's not just you don't just take a penalty when you can't mark a number off. Uh-huh. You can choose not to mark a number and take a penalty instead, mm-hmm. and you have to decide which one's going to make more sense for your score. Uh-huh. Uh, should I just take this penalty or should I mark off this? high number that's going to lock me out of a bunch of other numbers mm-hmm. later. And, and another reason why you might consider taking a minus four, every point you get in a row is actually a multiplicative. So it's like going from five to six actually goes from yeah. another six point. Right. So you might take the loss of the points there to uh, to gain more points later mm-hmm. if you're lucky enough. Right. Suffer the penalty now, but hopefully it pays off later. Right. So a little bit of math too. So Oh no, like math. It. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Little no, math, a couple choices. Uh, you I know, love it. Props to a tiny little game like this for having the amount of strategy it has. It's a, it's a good warm-up game. Okay, time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury quicks. Mike, what do you say? Eh, it's not the Ark of the Covenant, but if it's there and I'm bored, I spend a few minutes to dig it up. <laughs> Evan, how about you? It is hard for me to bury any dice game. I'm so biased. It. It must be the reptile part of my brain, so I'm digging it up. Ed, how about you? I think it lives up to its billing as a fast family dice game. With simple rules and a little bit of strategy, so dig it up. Yeah. And Evan, I would hold your thought on that dice game because we're about to review Dungeon. (gasps) And (laughs) so Quicks may not be a top choice for me to pull out with my adult friends. But like I said, with kids, I think it's a very good fit. Engaging with just the right amount of strategic thinking. Dig it up for that reason. 
You can find this game just about anywhere. It is widely available in stores, and the American version is quite cheap, seven to nine bucks. If you have thoughts about Quicks, we would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Up next, we have Tigris and Euphrates, designed by Rainier Kniza. Uh, first published in 1997, we played the 2008 edition, published by Mayfair Games. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 12 plus, runtime, 90 minutes. Ed, you brought this game to the table. Where'd you find it? A friend of mine has introduced me to the game, and I've played it a few times since then. And tell us a little bit about how it's played. In Tigris and Euphrates, you control a dynasty developing all four key spheres of civilization. On their turn, players will place leaders, create and extend the kingdoms, build monuments, and resolve conflicts, gaining points in each of the four spheres. The game ends when there are two or less treasures remaining or no more tiles in the bag. The dynasty or the player with the most balanced civilization will win the game. Why did you bring the game to the Witch Game First table? It's a classic strategy game from the designer. It's highly regarded and different from the other games we played of it. The ancient civilization theme is always fun to explore. Well, we were all at the table for this one. Mike, what did you think? Well, there's no shortage of tiles. <laughs> <laughs> and Evan, how about you? Well, this game made me very talkative. All I could do was babble on. <laughs> but seriously, folks, it's an interesting build game set in an interesting time of history. <laughs> and Ed, how about you? It's a tile placement game where every placement matters. It can change the whole board. Yeah, everything from placing the pieces to resolving the conflicts in this game is tricky to track. This game takes more than focus. It also takes a high tolerance for abstruse situations. So what are, what are some of the things you have to resolve in this game? Well, um, kingdoms are basically any grouping of tiles that are orthogonally adjacent, if you want to use the technical term. A conflict can occur if um, if we place a leader and that leader of the same color is already in that kingdom, then there's an internal conflict. If you place a tile that joins two kingdoms together, then there's an external conflict. Yeah, I mean, thematically, I like the idea that there was an internal and external conflict, but I couldn't understand when it happened and why a lot of times. It just seemed really wonky, unintuitive. Like, I don't know. <laughs> really unintuitive, even abstract. I wish I read some more of the guides on how to teach this game before I came here, because apparently one of the best ways to describe the difference in the conflict is if you're placing a leader down, it might cause an internal conflict. If you're placing a tile down, it can it might result in an external conflict. It was the only rule that sort of helped me understand this con this part of the game. Oh yeah. If I hadn't, I had to go back and reread it to really understand that. But once you do have that in mind, it does help clarify things a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It helps a little. Both of those conflicts take. Um, a lot of figuring out which tiles are involved and which tiles are at stake. Some of the mm -hmm. symbols themselves seemed a bit ambiguous. Right from the get-go, you were having a look at them and figuring out what the heck is this? Yeah, so here's the deal. So if we're going to talk about the, if we're actually going to move to talking about the art. So the art on the game, the version we played, and I have to say, I did see a different version online that I liked a lot more and might have helped me be remain better interest in this game. <laughs> the version we played had um, some art that 
wasn't inspiring and didn't quite match itself. So for example, I played the bull kingdom and I looked at the picture of the bull when choosing my kingdom and I'm like, Ooh, a cool bull. But then I was given my pieces with a bull symbol on them. And that symbol was different than the art that I chose from. And the symbol was on this piece of wood and it was in profile rather than straight on. And it Honestly, yes. didn't look anything like a bull. It looked like a donkey with a horn on it. It's true. And it's I true. ended up calling it the donkey corn. The mythical donkey corn. I mean, look at that. I picked based on this ram, not this donkey corn. You can switch. Do you want to switch to another one? You want the cooler lion? No. Uh, no, I'm I'm committed now. I have literally two different animals, and yeah. one of them is fantasy-based. <laughs> not mythical anymore. Not anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> and also the the um, temples in the version that we played were just like these wooden blocks and they seemed really uh, too rudimentary. And the uh, version I saw online had much more beautiful pieces for the temples that I think would have kept me a little bit more interesting. I, I think I would have really wanted to try to win over those temples and get them in my kingdom had they been really nice looking rather than a block <laughs> that my, you know, three-year-old might play with. So when yeah. you say your kingdom, I just wanted to mention here that in most games when you place a tile, that tile is something that kind of belongs to you. In this game, you're just building up a kingdom, and it happens to be yours because you have a leader in there with a majority. All these tiles, which are pieces of a kingdom, are constantly changing kings. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly changing from player to player, and they're constantly giving different victory points to different players, depending on where your king is. And and kings on the board are everybody's kings are attached to the same tiles, and they track and you know, and it's like who's in control of which tile? It is confusing and abstract and constantly demanding attention. Yeah, it's very unconventional. That's a good word for it. Yeah. Well, I think Mikey had the, the right way of thinking about it. When you're putting down a piece, it's not one of your leaders. It's not necessarily a piece. And in some cases, it's to your advantage to put a tile in a kingdom that, quote, mm -hmm. had leaders of the opponent in it. Yeah. And that, that leads into one of the few things I did like about this game. <laughs> and um, that was, you know, in a typical Euro game, you focus a lot on your engine, your, and what we mean mm -hmm. by the word engine is right. your personal stuff. Your build, your personal Yeah, in build. front of you. And this game doesn't do that. This game keeps your head on the board and not focused so much on you. So it's not as isolating as I have found some Euro games to be. So I enjoyed that, like the community aspect of the game the ge and the ability to watch and enjoy other people's turns mm -hmm. more because they do affect you in a much uh, more serious sense. Very much so. That piece of the game I enjoyed. Yeah, it kind of had a feel of like a, a chess game but the board is constantly changing every turn. Yeah, that's that's what it felt like to me. Yeah, a lot of people do mm -hmm. uh, refer to the game like chess. It's an, almost an abstract strategy game in that sense. Yeah, which makes it, I think, a great game to have for tournaments because I can see, you know, the rudimentary skill level versus like an experienced player. Like, you, there's seems almost no limit to how deep the strategy can go. And that's one of the things I love about this game. The strategy is that deep. With skilled players, you can really see. Wow, there, there are some really. I, I was watching one yeah. game 
where a, the placement of a catastrophe tile changed the whole oh, yeah, game. the catastrophe tiles. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can scuttle an entire other player's plans with a properly placed catastrophe tile. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And once a catastrophe card is, is put down, it can disintegrate multiple tiles on the board, right? Well, that's the key thing. It can break up ki- kingdom, and it can't be removed. That's right. You were building towards something in which, okay, I'm getting ready to, to attack this player. I'm going to have, whatever, 10 points. Uh, and then, boom, here comes the catastrophe. Oh, great. Now I'm down to two points. Start over. Right. Basically. Yeah. And I love that you have those uh, that ability to have the catastrophe tile, but the other tiles you're drawing randomly. So as strategic as this game seems, there's also that luck factor of, you know, you have a plan of what you want to do, but you haven't drawn the right tiles to, like, really set it in motion sometimes. So it, you have to try to be flexible and work with what you're given. Yeah, like the time it's like, whoa, what are the odds that Ed had four green tiles? Whoa. Yeah, exactly. Or or Evan had five red mm-hmm. tiles or something like that. I had that. a lot like, of red tiles. <laughs> And one of the one of the other things that sort of keeps your head really on the board and focused on everybody's move is the fact that you have to get victory points from different types of wins, mm-hmm. which means you can't just min-max focus on getting one type of victory point and just get as many points in, say you know, river kingdoms or whatever, blue kingdoms. You have to have a balanced amount of victory points in it overall. Yeah, that's another unique aspect of this game, actually, is that you're going for a balanced victory, not like an overwhelming victory in one category. Right. You can't just build up your farm to some ridiculously high level mm-hmm. and ignore your temples or your settlements or your markets because you're going to get scored on the lowest of those four numbers. You're mm-hmm. only as strong as your weakest fear. <laughs> that's right. it. That's it. And that's interesting. Makes sense. It, keeps, it forces you to balance yourself. As someone who tends to enjoy mastering one thing and then going for it in a game, I uh, I didn't care for that aspect, but I do appreciate it. Another key thing for getting the points is the monument. So once you built a monument by getting four of the same color next to each other, they get points every turn to any leaders that are next to them. So that's very important. Yeah, the monuments are really cool and really important, which is why I really wish they looked cool <laughs> and not like kids building blocks. <laughs> I thought they served their purpose well. Like really, a red block. Yeah, this Mike, you're a you're a guy with no kids. Okay, so you your your world wasn't inundated hey, with colored I'm a, blocks. I'm a- I am a creative, artistic person, and I thought that that was fine and functional. <laughs> I didn't expect anything else out of it. Although it would be cool to have it like all carved out and stuff. Yeah, and it, and in some, like I said, in some of the versions, you may want to check out online. I think the newer version has that. The newest version has better looking monuments. The game is uh, over twenty years old now. We played the 2008 version. Oh, okay. And there's an even newer one now. Well, why would you even waste your time with it if it has no donkey corns? <laughs> I just wanted to say donkey corn. Me again. too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are no donkey corns in the new version. The new version has molded plastic pieces for the kings rather now, than wood tokens, which I liked a lot. So you can't, it's hard to go wrong with those. Okay, time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Tigris and Euphrates. Mike, how about you? Um, despite its kind of messy and unintuitive start that I had with it, I appreciated the original mechanics and the depth of strategy. So I want to take another crack at it, and I'd also say dig it up. And Evan, how about you? There are several strategies I would like to try with this game, though some aspects are a bit unconventional and take some getting used to. I think most people will catch the drift after playing once or twice, so dig it up. And Ed, how about you? The rules are fairly simple. The complexity comes in the consequences of conflict and the interactions of the leaders. 
which can lead to epic moments and provides a deep and engaging strategy game. Dig this masterpiece up. <laughs> and uh, for me, I think you guys were right. It's a game like chess, where if you don't want to put the substantial T&E, and that's time and effort, not mm-hmm. Tigris and Euphrates, into mastering its complex patterns, then I don't think you'll get much out of it. That's just me. I don't think without mastery, I'd get much out of it. And in my case, it didn't grab me enough to make me want to do that. So for me personally, I'll say bury it. And Ed, where can you find this game? Uh, Fantasy Flight Games released a new edition in 2015, which is generally available online at local gaming stores. MSRP around 60 bucks. You might get a little cheaper. Nice. And if any of you have thoughts about Tigris and Euphrates, and I'm sure you do, let us know because we want to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our last game up this week is Dungeon Roll. Designed by Chris Darden, published by Tasty Minstrel Games. Yum. In 2013. Yum. Number of players, one to four, ages eight and up. Runtime, 15 to 30 minutes. Uh, Mike, you brought this game to the table. Where'd you find it? Uh, First time I saw it was on Kickstarter, and I was totally intrigued. And then I kind of forgot about it for a while. And I noticed it on Ed's shelf of massive games. So I said, let's pull it out. Yeah, and uh, tell us a little bit about how it's played. Okay. In Dungeon Roll, your goal is to collect experience points by defeating monsters and scooping up treasure. At the beginning of the game, players select a hero avatar, such as Mercenary, Half-Goblin, or Enchantress, which provides them with special, unique powers. Uh, Then players take turns as their adventurer, who delves the dicey depths, seeking fortune and glory. Uh, One of the other players serves as the dungeon lord and rolls the increasing number of dungeon dice based on how far the adventurer has progressed through the dungeon. Success means you can press your luck and continue, but be careful. If you press too hard, you get forced into a fight with the dreaded dragon. The adventurer uses faces on the party dice to defeat monsters such as oozes and skeletons to claim the treasure inside of chests and to revive downed companions with potions. When you defeat an encounter, you gain treasure by taking a token at random from inside the treasure chest-shaped box. So cool. In the end, the player with the most XP wins. I love the idea of a treasure box. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the gimmick right there. That is it. That's the, that is their thing. And um, why did you bring this game to the group, Mike? Well, I know that we all love dice rolling and D&D, so it seemed like a perfect fit. <laughs> and the correct answer is... Yeah, the answer is the treasure box. The treasure Yeah, that is the real answer. I brought it because I saw a treasure box, and I'm like, that's the one. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, all of us but Evan were at the table for this game. Aww. And so, Ed, what'd you think about it? A push-your-luck dice game to explore dungeons and slay dragons that comes in a cute little treasure box? I'm intrigued. (laughs) Mike, what about you? Uh, It can be both a blessing and a curse to tackle such a classic and saturated theme. (laughs) (laughs) And Evan, what do you know? I'm very sad on the inside that I missed this game. Very, very sad. (laughs) I'll play with you anytime. Thanks. Yeah, we are sad. We're sad, too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, everybody should have at least one shot at grabbing treasure out of a box. Oh, yeah. yeah. As a veteran D&D player, it certainly was easy to jump right into sprucing this little game up into a full-fledged role-playing adventure. I would expect no less from you. <sighs> Mikey was great when he was the GM. Oh, my God. It was so much <laughs> thank fun. you. Thank you. Yeah, it took him. It took him a little longer than we expected to read the rules, though. Yeah, it was a rules pamphlet. Like I thought I would get through it fast, but it was hard to. Like I was looking, yeah. there was charts that didn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really intuitively written, but 
I mean, they were all there. We found uh, all the rules. Yeah. The size of the book probably didn't help because, uh, well, yes, it's a little booklet, but it's small. It's like the size of a card. Oh, great. Three-point fonts. Mm-hmm. I love those. Right, yes. Yeah, it was tiny. They had to fit it into the tiny treasure chests. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everything came in the little treasure box. That's true. Yeah, it might have actually worked better if they uh, just folded up a sheet, piece of paper. Yeah, right. Or you put a little yeah, piece maybe, of paper in there maybe. saying, here's your link to the online PDF for the rules. <laughs> that, all games should do that now. <laughs> they really should. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the factory that made the game for you would be happy to do a fourfold on your single sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, would have been better um, than that tiny, teeny booklet with the tiny, <laughs> teeny font. Yeah. Um, and I And that, I think, comes to the crux of one of the biggest issues that I had with the game was so many rules for the little dice game (laughs) where you pull a treasure out of the box. I mean, come on, guys. Treasure out of the box is the awesome part. Why weigh it down with a bunch of rules? The way you got to roll dice to find out who was in your adventuring party and to find out what enemies you were going to fight was really cool. And the Mm. dice looked really neat. They had cool little original Mm -hmm. pictures on them. You know, you so they were unique to this game, and they were good quality, nice, heavy dice. Um, and I love the little D10 that kept track of the level you were on. Then it's a good thing I wasn't there because I'd have been too tempted. I can't control myself. I'd have been rolling that D10 during my downtime and messed up the whole game. A D10, by the way, is a 10-sided die. Yeah, suddenly you're at level 10, Evan. Wow, nice job. Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ready for you. Oh, hello, adventurer. Welcome to Mm. level 10. Look what wandered into (laughs) my cave. Hmm. (laughs) First level adventurer snacks. Yeah, the level of the the dice is used to keep track of the experience. So you make it down to the seventh level of the dungeon, you get seven XP. I'm going deeper. Go deeper with your two He's dice. going deeper. Level five, you get five dice. So you have two skellies, or you have a special ability. Ghosts, ghosts, ghosts. And this line. Ah, there he goes. Bam. So everybody gets a hero card, and that's their main character that they're playing through the dungeon. Then they roll the dice for the rest of their adventuring yeah. party. So your main hero has a special ability, and that's great. Okay, and it's cool. And I thought they did a great job balancing those special abilities. But then you get these items out of the box. And I think sometimes I thought maybe they were just doing it like to have more stuff in the treasure box when I would have been happy with just pulling gold coins out or, you know, items that had different values on them rather than special abilities. What I think they could have done with that instead of having you pull the little tokens that have a picture of what the special treasure is that you drew. Then you have to go to a chart to look at what the picture represents and read off what the special ability is. Right. Yeah. yeah. So instead of the chart, they could have just had a few more cards that were like you draw a treasure out of the treasure deck. And then it has a nice description of what it does rather than referring to the chart what your special ability is. But then is you couldn't pull it out of the box. You know, we can't pull a card out of a box. You, you'd pull one of the coins and it would say treasure on it you're like oh uh, like it would say item on it or something like that and then you'd pull an item yeah that's that would have been cool like like uh pictures of just cool items that you got and then they would just say how much they were worth right on the coin two three four points you're saying you didn't want them to do anything you just wanted them to be worth more money exactly i felt that treasures that did stuff slowed things down and the stuff they did wasn't Hmm. cool enough Hmm. because it they tended to just copy what the heroes already did so it was it wasn't worth it Right. I, I thought they were really good for helping you push your luck because you need to, oh, I got some treasures. Now I can get get a little deeper than I was able to go for before. Yeah. 
That's what I mean. Okay, I see that. I do. Um, I don't know. I think I would have really just enjoyed so like, ooh, more loot. Ooh, what I get mm-hmm. this time? Loot, 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 and then add them all up at the end. Um, and then just roll my press your luck and use my special ability and then, you know, just use the factors of what enemies were there and what my party was. That would have been enough for me. So you're saying you, d- you didn't need to make use of any of those special abilities that these things yielded? No, absolutely. You use them. Uh, I mean, what, you use the heck out of them. I think what the thing is, what I think the reason why they're useful the way it's designed, because you're pulling the stuff out of the, the bag, and if you're you're lucky, you get the right loot, you can actually keep pushing farther in. It actually t- tempts you to put your luck into disposable, because you're like, like, oh, yeah, some of these things act like a fighter, but you used up some of your resources getting down to the third level, so now, oh, can I make it to the fourth level? I just got these two new things. Maybe I can. So it edges you to go a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I get that, and that definitely mimics, mm-hmm. like, the feel of a D&D game or a, a role-playing game where you get things and you can use them up to move on and then you have a cool decision to make whether like or not that. you're going to use your thing and then it goes away. It makes you too bold and then it makes you want to go further than you should and I love that. I, I like the hero though, definitely, because uh, one, one of the cooler things is not only to have the special ability, but if you get enough XP, you can level them up. Yeah, you flip them over and they level up. Yeah, I mean, as role-players, we often have pictures drawn of our characters and i always think how much fun it would be to have a second picture drawn of our character as they get more powerful and go through their life and have seen it you know so that was really cool to get Uh (laughs) uh-huh right um i i love the press your luck elements the game had but usually when i'm playing a press your luck game I want to be in control of the next like random factor. But in this game, you've already rolled your party. They're sitting on the board and you're using them up as the as the AI or the other player is rolling the dice. When Mike was the hero and I was the villain or whatever, the bad guys, you know, you would play the ghost <laughs> or the <laughs> yeah. skeleton. Oh, I love doing whatever. stuff like that. A treasure chest. Treasure. And some oh, a distant roar. A distant roar, you see this a hideous goblin. Here's his friend choking to death on his own blood and comes running. My hero was the bard, so I did a lot of singing of my moves. I go left. <laughs> yeah, I think it provided enough, just enough of a hint that we could latch onto and role play the heck out of this thing. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I felt like I got a lot of game out of such a small box. Yeah, there's enough stuff going on there for the little pack of hideous then. Okay, time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Dungeon Roll. Ed, what say you? I enjoyed the game, and the concept is cool, but the overall gameplay didn't quite grab me. I would like to play it again before if I decide if I'm really ready to bury it or not, though. Mm -hmm. So, Evan, let's play it so we can figure it out. Yeah, I'm in too. (laughs) And Mike, how about you? It's messy. It's awkward. You know, just like I was at the age where I started playing (laughs) D&D. I think with a few tweaks, it could be pretty fun. So I want to leave it up for a further exploration. Evan, how about you? Don't bury it. I want to try it. Belay that berry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, my initial instinct, uh, when starting this conversation was to bury it, but 
maybe with a tweak here and there or sort of looking at it from a different angle, this could be okay. I absolutely love pulling treasures out of the box. Mm -hmm. So uh, if for nothing else, uh, Evan's benefit, I will say, let's dig it up. Yes. All right. Dungeon roll two. I love it. We're going to do it again. (laughs) Bonus. Review maybe. (laughs) Bonus. Dungeon roll revisited. Mike, where can you find this game? It's still available at some online shops, and you may find it at your local game stores as well. It runs about 20 bucks. Well, if any of you have played the Kickstarter dungeon roll, we'd love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash witchgamefirst. And our supporters get an additional full episode exclusive to them every other week. Follow us on your favorite social media site. We are at witchgamefirst on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And on iTunes, leave us a review if you get a chance. It really helps others find the show. And join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon subscribers get access to exclusive channels. Okay, game explorers, roll those dice, draw those cards, stack those cubes. Happy gaming! Yay, thank you. You guys did great. Goodbye, adventurers. <laughs>